喵喵喵喵 ，roof roof 喵 ，roof roof 喵喵 ，roof 喵。Welcome to Cat Books, Episode One, everybody. This is the podcast where me and Kevin get together after our children have gone to sleep and talk to each other. I'm in my kitchen, Kevin. I'm assuming you're in your living room. I'm in my living room. Yeah. It's nice to talk to you. Welcome everybody to Bad Books Part One. It's exciting. One. Oh, isn't it? Yes. I can just feel the vibrations from the audience. They're coursing through me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, I feel it too. I definitely feel it too. You on ecstasy? Are you on ecstasy? I personally, at the moment, <laughs> I am. Yes. So we're both feeling the ecstasy, and here we go. I've never done ecstasy. <laughs> Me neither. I, <laughs> <laughs> I tried to do it one time, but I lost the ecstasy, and so I couldn't do it anymore. And I took it as a sign. I love that story. I like that you listened to that sign. That's good. That's good. Well, it wasn't like I had, you know, an ecstasy guy that I could go back yeah, to yeah. For, for, for a re-up <laughs> due to my lost ecstasy. You want to know something insane? I, the, one of the ecstasy guys, his email address is still in my contacts. So every once in a while, I'll go to type something else and his email will pop up. I also like that I transacted over email from my work email address in the early 2000s. <laughs> and it was always with some horrible code. Hey, man, you got any tickets? Yeah, yeah, I got a book bunch of tickets. Why don't you come by my office? Totally. I'd like to get about 15 tickets. <laughs> but he's still there. I want to say his name so badly, but I'm not going to say his I name. I know. And I know you want to say the email address. <laughs> I do. do I'm going things. to say both his name and email. No, I'm not going to do that. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> uh. Okay, sorry. Anyways, we're both on ecstasy, and we're here to talk about bad books. It's just called bad books. I don't. I think yes. we never intended on calling it one, but I guess that's sort of how we refer to it internally now. Oh, that's a definite sign for OKD. Nav- amateur move. Shut off your notifications. Just as we were talking doggy. about how you've really got it figured out, you've got the ecstasy guy emailing you back. Do not say my name on this podcast. I'm like, how are you listening live? He's like, I'm involved with Piezo. It's like. I listen to everything you do, and I have since 2003. I'll spell it out a letter at a time over the course of the podcast and see if people can piece it together like the Zodiac. <laughs> okay, so, no, yeah, I think, what well, and, and with not intending to call it one, which might be a seamless transition into discussing the number genesis two. of this record. Yeah, <laughs> number the least, the less said about one, the better. We didn't even know if it was going to be more than that. We didn't even know if it was going to be that. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. The conversation started with Bad Books in San Diego with your old manager. We were on a tour and he said, you know, you and Kevin really need, or I said, I really want to collaborate with Kevin. And he was the guy who's like, all right, let's get like some flights yeah, yeah. booked. John Matheson. Which is a cool, sort of the first step of that sort of assertive commitment that I think is important in collaborations. Well, because otherwise everybody's just talk. you know, everyone does that. We should do some shit together. Yeah, totally. Absolutely. So yeah, like getting the dates down and then it was also, you know, a way to kind of like prep, but I feel like you did more prep 
before the album than I did, kind of, kind of. Just to sort of put some more meat on that bone, <laughs> we had <Okay>. uh, <laughs> we had talked about the prospect of doing something like this almost, I mean, relatively immediately after. I know some of this is stuff that we've talked about in other places before. But we've never really like gone in, gone in about it. I mean, we were playing music together inside of a week of literally like knowing each other, two weeks of knowing yeah. each other. But I think that we started kind of like flirting with that idea as early as whatever that would have been 07, 08. Yeah, I think we were doing that thing we were just talking about. Exactly. You know, kind of like daydreaming about a potential way to work together. And as the time kind of got closer, Manchester was, well, not even done really with like, we still had more to do. If we made that record in 2010, we were like halfway through the Meet Everything to Nothing cycle. Oh, yeah. And so ended up later that year doing the Manchester Biffy O Brother tour and then the Manchester Thrice tour that they got canceled. Then we ended up writing Simple Math that summer. I'm just going through my memories of it all. And then like Simple Math that summer, Bad Books release that fall. And then you and I and Rob and Nate Futrell did a string of Southeast dates. And that was when I was like getting mixes finalized and masters for Simple Math, which is pretty crazy, like uh, throwing all that stuff in there together. Well, I remember too with, with that, that when Bad Books and I were kind of jumping around, but I suspect that's fine. Bad Books did its first LA show. We did the Troubadour on the bottom of the hill in January of 2011. Yeah, we did LA and San Francisco. And when we did LA, I have a memory of you, Matheson and I driving around in his car doing some like promotional stuff for Bad Books. And you played us, I want to say Pale Black Eye, and maybe April Fool. Like, you played us a few of those songs. And I remember that in his car. That was the first time I was hearing some of the, like, more finished. Right, totally. Simple math stuff. So that, but yes, that time frame. I was going to ask, what was the show? Do you remember the math? Was, was it a Manchester headlining show where you and Matheson talked about that? Or was it? So it was, let's think. It would have had to have been. Early, early 09, late it was, 09. It was House of Blues. Um Maybe it was mean I th- everything. I, th- I know. I, th- I think we were on tour with um, with Silver Sun and Cage. Oh, right, right, I right, right, right. That makes sense. That would have at least been around that time period. Um, but yeah, I, I, I don't really remember. There's um, so many funny things about that Genesis point too. Like I, I remember there was this promoter in Australia who had brought me over to do some festivals and he was very good to me, but was a little erratic. And he had reached out to Ellis and I and said after you and Matheson had spoken about doing get like actually putting stuff together for that January 2010 this guy reached out and he was like Monsters of Folk is going to do an Australia tour and you're a done deal to open and in retrospect I'm thinking like that's not none of that was true further the last thing you need on a, on a show with three acoustic guys doing a two hour right. set is a fourth acoustic guy doing a 30 minute sports set but anyway I remember talking to our booking agent Ellis about it, Andrew Ellis and being like what do you think because we were supposed to do this what what, mm-hmm. what came this and, and, and I remember Andrew being like neither of us could make heads or tails of whether it was real or not but he was also like I mean even if it is and he's a sage dude in some very key ways he was like even if it is this thing might be like a thing that happens and is cool for a week that thing could be a thing you're doing for a long time he was like you could open for the monsters of folk or you could start the monsters of folk yes exactly 
Who's who in that? Who are the? Is it Herman Munster? Uh, yeah, I think I'm Herm. I'm fucking Munster Cheese. Yeah, you're yes. like the kid. I think you're like the kid. Little Let's Eddie. Most, yeah, little Eddie. Rest little in power. Eddie. Rest in power. But 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 anyway, I remember that was like a thing for a minute where I was like, and plus you know part of it, 2010. You're like, is there any version of of that that you say no to? I guess I should go do that if that happens. And of course, and thankfully it was total bullshit. Yeah, there was no offer. <laughs> <laughs> they didn't they, play Australia. They didn't even do the tour. <laughs> that is most likely true. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, they were never booked. Well, I think that's, you know, uh, something that came to us later, you know, was the fact that it started to actually become something that we could do to, to preoccupy ourselves and, you know, focus on a little bit of a, a more carefree environment when it came to making music. And that, to me, was so exciting of when we got in the studio for Bad Books 1 of like, all right, I've got like three song ideas. And I think those ideas were Please Move, mm-hmm. How This All Ends, and I Begged You Everything. Yeah, right. And And I had those three. And then when you started bringing in some of yours in the studio is when I ended up writing Texas and Baby Shoes, like the day that they were recorded. Which is insane. Well, thank you. But it's also, it's it's a testament to just how kind of like challenged and insecure I felt about my material at that time in a way. It was like, oh shit, I need to write something that I feel can, can hold up against some of these, you know, monsters that you were bringing in. They were like real songs that you had been working on, you know? <laughs> yeah, that's, we started going down that road and I kind of, as my brain does, stepped into six different cul-de-sacs. You were talking about preparation and like, I know, cause I guess it ties into what we're talking about. I know that the songs that I brought down there were songs that ostensibly would have been like in the pool for what became Between the Concrete and Concrete, Clouds. Yeah. Yeah, there was like, yeah. that, those were like the first five. And then I remember like going down there and having a moment even, and just, in, in, I mean, you and I have talked about all of this, but not in front of microphones, I don't think. I definitely had a moment. Just on, our own personal microphones yes, that we record yes, each other at yes, all times. Yes. But not for the public, no. <laughs> There's something very David Lynch about that. That's really good. Like just seeing that scene in my head. Well, I'm watching that uh, HBO. Hold a pin in that for a second. But I'm watching that HBO show, The Vow. I keep hearing about this show. Is it? Is, yeah, it's good. I mean, it should be like four episodes. I think it's extremely long. I've, I've kind of lost touch with it. But every single time somebody's having a conversation, they're like, uh, "Are you recording me?" And the guy's like, <laughs> "I record every conversation that I have." <laughs> I was like, think about that in your life. Oh my God. Okay, yeah. sorry, go on. <laughs> no, it's insane. I remember thinking maybe had a moment, which feels so insane to think about in retrospect, where I, where I was like a moment of like a conflict in my mind because I really liked those songs and I didn't, we didn't know what we were doing yet. So I was, I remember kind of being like, I totally understand that. I remember yeah. thinking like, what if, I don't know what I thought, like what if, I guess in retrospect, there's so many layers of why that was a stupid thought to have because it's not like the songs are going to get like tied up in something like if you know if we had started working on stuff and you and I both sat there after a week or a weekend and we're like this isn't a thing we would have gone along with our stuff to me it was like bringing those songs down there sitting down in front of you guys I was nervous I remember actively being like these are my friends who I've already toured like literally globally with these people and I, but in that environment I was like I hope these songs are like good I, th- I think they're good I hope there's something to them and I hope there's something to 
them that will like help kickstart this band, this project. Like for them, make it worth having me come here. I remember playing, to me, the skeleton key for the whole band was playing You Wouldn't Have to Ask. And I had this weird, like, you know, fancy chord changey bridge thing. And you were like, this song's great. I don't think that's the bridge. And then what if it was more straightforward like this? And then the Instead of eight chords, how about two? Yeah, but you were right. <laughs> that bridge was is one of my favorite. That to me, that, it's not to be dramatic, but that bridge was like, oh, this is, we're, we're going to have a band. Like mm-hmm. once that happened, I was like, this is cool as hell. And it was that thing where it was like, that would not have been what that song would have been if it was a Kevin song. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah, Absolutely. I feel the same way about my songs that they wouldn't have been Manchester songs on that record. And I think it's probably from the angle of like, I felt so just uptight about everything. Like we were just asked to do something, I think for Brooklyn Vegan, where we were talking about like the influences specific to that record and all of the stuff that I picked were really sloppy albums. Right. Like it was stuff that was acceptable to be sloppy. Like Tonight's the Night by Neil Young and at least the first three pavement records, you know, right. like the first two specifically, like pretty expertly sloppy yeah yeah and so there was this feeling in my mind that was like man this is so nice to not have to like worry so much about it it achieving this like kind of self-imposed grandness or perfection and like to let them have this different character that was outside of like the very focused right away captain narrative storytelling thing right and then just sort of whatever i was thinking about what Manchester would be following me and everything. Um, and I was to go back to something you were saying earlier, I think that that idea of kind of holding on to the song, that totally makes sense to me earlier in, in my career and in your career, why that would, it would feel that way. I think until you've really gone deep and had a gratifying experience and rewarding experience collaborating, that can be a tough thing. Oh, um, especially yeah. if you come from, and I know you have come from this too, but when you come from early iterations of your band or your music or as an artist where people don't trust you and they try and fuck with your shit, you know, in a in a negative way just because they want to have a say. Right. And that's a really big thing. I think then going through this experience with you of like, there weren't a lot of like, this needs to be this certain way, but it was definitely a collaborative, you know, the first probably a little looser than what it ended up becoming, but, but we were, you know, we had a choice to finish the, to, for people listening, we went and recorded the first eight songs in like five days. Yep. And then in sort of a typical bad books way that we've continued to do it now, <laughs> but like we could, we were about to walk away from it and be like, all right, cool. It's eight. And I think I had the idea of, you know, like we're really close to this being an album and then you bring holding down the laughter and I bring baby shoes and that really ties up what the whole album ends up becoming and those two songs end up giving it like a real identity. It was almost like those first eight songs we did were like us learning how to make music with each yes. other and then those next two were like, okay, we kind of have this identity. Let's become this thing. You know? Well, especially if you think about from that angle in the first eight songs you have Texas, you have Mirror. So those are effectively on the record solo performances and then you have I Begged You Everything which was vocal harmony but is, is very much a song yeah, in that song. first group of eight songs there was like three or four songs that were and Mesa the way we recorded it which is obviously so funny to think of because of how different that is now I don't think you sing on the record I'm pretty no, certain no I think you're totally right so there yeah. was this stuff that was kind of like because and of course it's not I don't say any of this through, through a, crit, a self-critical lens it's, it's the exact thing it needed to be it was the process of discovery 
discovery and it was discovering it a in real time and b in five days <laughs> but yeah. uh, and and i love all of those songs but as we step away from it and look at it now like of those first eight it was it was so much more like um there was like the andy songs and the kevin songs and mm-hmm. then i think both baby shoes and holding down the laughter just gave it an identity that also kind of propelled us toward what the second record ended up becoming and certainly yeah. what the live band was too like it became a weirder gnarlier thing we have the pretty thing we do but the rock thing we do is very like scratchy you know yeah exactly and i think if, if there wasn't that feeling of being comfortable with each other and and then willingness to like share really great material you know like i kind of switched into your position with album one where like i wrote the after party with tim and oh, robert's yeah, basement right he wrote the drum part that ben plays on the record and i wrote friendly advice i wrote that before like sort of as an idea of a potential manchester song and then of course the way bad books work so perfectly to me and sort of the pat on the back that I needed that it was like definitely the right thing was feeling writing a song like Forrest Whitaker and knowing that I wasn't going to put that on a Manchester record and then finally having a place that I felt that thing could go instead right. of where other songs would just stay and never exist really to the public. Yes. And that's the thing about the first record. There was, I feel like I did more preparation in the sense that I had songs that I knew went from A to B. I knew like what, in my mind, what the song was more Mm -hmm. or less. And then I think what the process of going down there with you guys, it had been a really long time, well, seven years, I think, since the last time I, I mean, you know, the records I'd made under my name with, particularly with Brocco and Skinner were, were mega collaborative and I guess all of them were the Schnaff one was too but like that's different that's a different thing you're like it's very clear who the like last voice in the room is and on purpose because of some of the impacts of being an early a person in your early 20s and with the miracle thing which some of which the end of that band was just like unpleasant as bands can be it's it seems uh, that also seems silly with 17 years of separation but at the time it did not (laughs) it seems silly and so the decision with the whole goddamn band project was to like start something that was a bit more of like a loose limbed collective you had your people but it could be porous it could be you know no one's like no one's married to it people can come in and out and there could be core groups but it can rotate and and that was kind of to avoid some of the like potential oh that's interesting yeah the awkwardness of having to commit to making music with someone yeah and and also just like some of the sensitivity that weird shifting definitions around role and all that stuff Mm -hmm. and so by the time another thing the bad books thing ends up getting to be was like not to sound really super fucking cheesy but like healing in some ways because that was the first time i had really made a record like that in eight years you know and Mm -hmm. i was a really different person at 30 than i was at 22 and i'm different at 40 than i was at 30 but i think that being in that environment was also something that was kind of like a kind of like helped soothe some stuff (laughs) that was still a little irritated from from earlier on but I, i do think that um um, that's getting into the, the second one a little bit, but by the time we f- get towards where Forest is written by you, and for me, it was with that record, it was the two no songs, no reward and no sides. I remember writing those songs and being like, these are bad book songs. Cause I could like hear you. I could hear like the thing we would do with them. I could hear, and they, they went places that, you know, that's the beauty of it too. They went places that you can't hear, but I had like, it never stops ended up being yes. a, a really important, true collaboration between the two of us where, 
felt like you had this beautiful melody and these lyrics and this chorus and the chords, but that was it. You know, there wasn't like a really even a rhythm. Oh, I, I had no idea. It to me. Yeah. It was like, here's just the thing. And I just start riffing on the like, dun dun, dun dun, dun dun, dun dun thing. Yeah. And all of a sudden, then Ben starts putting in, you know, felt that felt like a band instead of like, here's a, Bad Books 1, in a lot of ways, was sort of your like, you record the acoustic guitar, you record the electric guitar, and then it's time for drums on top of that. Yeah, thing. totally. All right, get the drums in a good spot, then start adding get stuff the to it. And, and, again, <laughs> and then... <laughs> And then there's this, you know, moment, I think, well, specifically on that first record and why I look back on it fondly now, 10 years later. And, you know, I I didn't for a long time because I just felt it was so undercooked. But the reason it's undercooked is because we didn't have the tools to cook it correctly yet. Like it was sort of like the inmates were running the asylum in a lot of ways with that thing. And I was a much rougher version than myself. There was this clip. We've been going through all this simple math stuff and I'm giving it to Brad Fisher in the vocal booth during gang vocals and there's a moment I go I tell Kevin Devine this all the time you can fucking sing it yes you can <laughs> god damn it that was during I want to say it was in like might have been in holding down the, I can't remember there was something or maybe it was with one of yours maybe it was with please move there was some harmony somewhere uh-huh. where you were like but you know what dude and granted yes we're all different versions of ourselves along the chain two things yeah my intention and what I said were correct it's just it's interesting looking back at that person like my bedside manner in the studio, something we talk about on the other Manchester podcast, just like learning how to properly yeah. lead effectively, you know, and help, oh, help yeah. um, growth effectively. And as you know, I've, I've, I've gotten so much better at that stuff, but there was a bit of it that was like, I remember you saying like, well, I can't do that kind of stuff. And I was like, yeah, you definitely can. <laughs> Yeah. And there's, I've said this, if I haven't said it to you, I'll say it to you now. I've definitely said it to other people, but working on those records with you and Robert in particular, but working on bad books in general, I think has definitely made me a more confident and dynamic singer. Like I can hear more harmonically than I did. Sure. Yeah. Which is what I'm, that's what I mean about yeah. like the tools, you yes. know, it's like we just didn't have, we didn't really know all the tools. So that's what makes it. Well, hundred percent. And also we were kind of also writing the vocabulary because we were like figuring out, well, what is the band? How do we approach these songs? What is it that, how do we articulate them? How do we arrange them? Like, and we were kind of, everyone was 10 years earlier in their, in their own process. Rob is, is, has become such a monster in so many ways. And he was already, but Rob and Nick, I think Nick Day helped us with that too. Right? Right? No, Ben Ben was the first one. We didn't even know Nick yet. Oh, so right. It was, it was so it was Ben like and... They were doing Pro Tools engineering as well, which I think was like, you can see all the evolutionary points. But when I look at that record, what I do, there are moments, the moments where it like clicks are genuinely exciting moments. And I, they're, they're like things like Baby Shoes and things like Holding Down the Laughter, like there's stuff that goes on there where I'm like, oh, that's so cool. And I remember when it was happening and there's the prettinesses too. There's the beginning inklings of like what that thing is when it's me and you with acoustic guitars and Rob yeah, you're right. wash over everything you know that stuff all the seeds are there you're right but it yeah I us- love how you said that like we were really de- kind of developing the vocabulary of what actually sounded good together you know like and I remember that was a period of time where I started to recognize your guitar playing ability 
as a guitar player not playing your own music. Right. And that was pretty eye-opening to me. It was like, oh, this dude can write really inventive shredding guitar solos. He's just not doing it in his own band. Right, right. So we got to ask him to do it here. That was so fun. I mean, I remember like particularly the recording of Baby Shoes getting to be, and it sort of did, and and as as I feel like the best things about a project like this can do. So the first thing is you don't want it to just sound like, here's Kevin with Manchester behind him. Here's Manchester with Kevin strumming a guitar with them. Like you want to have it be its own thing. And I actually do give us retrospective credit because that's what you can hear that record, whatever it's moments of maybe undercooked or like fitfulness. What I really love is that there's nothing on that record in my estimation and other, you know, that's just mine, but that sounds like, it doesn't sound like Manchester or me. It sounds like we're struggling a little bit sometimes to figure out (laughs) something else, but we are pursuing something else. And I think that's commendable. And I think we actually, you know, we end up getting there as we move through. And I think we get there sometimes on that record. But I do know playing guitar on your songs on that record then was the start of me trying to think about being a more like counterpoint guitarist on Mm -hmm. my own recordings too, to where I'm like playing, like, I'm like, how do I hear it? Not just as a songwriter, but as a lead guitar player too. And obviously I have Strand, I have Strand, I have other people that are, but I wanted to be able to do some of that for myself in there. And I felt a lot of that come out on your last record where the uh, Watch the Sun Die. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Magic Magnet, yeah, yeah. Magic Magnet. I remember hearing that song for the first time. I think I heard it live for the first time. You opened up a show somewhere. Oh, we were playing the same festival somewhere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it was maybe, yeah. And going like, oh, man, that sounds like a very cool Bad Books guitar line. I wish we could have that thing. Right, well, that's good. It's always a sweet moment, too, to go like, damn, I wish we could have that one. That's the coolest thing, because that also indicates that we're doing doing a thing with a developed enough personality that when you hear something in one of the two principles, primary projects that reminds you of that thing, that's cool. Like if one of the two songwriters is like, oh, that's like a bad books thing. I wish we could do that here. That's actually like developed a fucking personality. It's really nice when other musicians and friends say it too about stuff like that. uh, You know, I'll show them that's Manchester or something we're working on or whatever. And they'll go like, ooh, that that sounds like bad books. I'm like, oh, great. Well, somebody just asked me actually an audience member too we put that three song ep digital thing out and somebody was like congratulations you were the plug a pal on our last manchester um, podcast oh it's really? beautiful <laughs> yeah we, we plug a pal every every month oh that's cool well that's nice so congratulations it's gorgeous well thank you with some somebody was asking though specifically did um the like sort of open washiness of that come from the work on the third Bad Books record. And whether that's like directly what is in mind, uh, partially, of course it did, because I think you aggregate everything you do, you pick up and we definitely like on that record, it was like, I can say for certain that so much of the recording I'm doing on the Patreon stuff is like, I don't have drums. I don't really have access to percussion. I have some like drum machinery, but I'm not super agile with that yet. So I'm not really messing around with drums. And that's certain 
suddenly, how do you fill that space? Well, that, I do think a lot about what we did on that third record because I'm like, well, bass frequencies that go on forever and take up a lot of room and twinklies here and mid range, like you know, things you learn. Yeah, and I definitely <laughs> picked up more of that working with on that record with you guys for sure. So it's almost when you start to recognize the difference between how deep it can go, you know, and how there is no ceiling to this stuff, and there's always stuff to learn, and there's all like that's when I look at the kind of the miracle of anybody's first record. <laughs> but oh, yeah. Especially if you've got a good first record, like the miracle of that first record of like, no one was really ever thinking about any of that stuff. No one was thinking about the sub bass no. in this section or what high end frequencies were working and what wasn't. It was just like, <laughs> you know, one thing that record isn't is overdone. And I think that's what I'm grateful about it years and years oh, later, yeah. ten, 10 years later, is that, that we didn't do too much. And I would much rather now walk away from a record and be proud of something that like was confident in what it was and didn't try to be too many things, which is nice. Yep. I was talking with some, well, you know, I'm Chris O'Brien, Cephas, my, my buddy forever. And we were talking about something today about like how just because you can, for, I don't, for me now, one of the things that I can find most challenging and, and, and I, that's a good thing that you and I bounce off one another as well. Just because I can do more does not mean I should always do more. Sometimes it's still cool to have a thing be just a couple things. You know exactly what I mean? Exactly what it is. Yes. Yeah. And, and I think that record, you, you mentioned those, that Neil Young record and there's that, that group of them like on the beach and yep. tonight's the night and where it really, you know, it's that thing. I think we were talking about this. Maybe Schnaff told me this. I think you and I were talking about it. They're like on the, on the wall when you'd walk into, I think when they were working on tonight's the night, there was a sign that said like, if you're thinking, you're stinking or something like that mm -hmm. and it was like don't think just do it and whatever it is and there's stuff on that record that like it feels I don't want to use a stupid word but it feels real it is real and there's nothing on there like when you talk about the miracle of a first record like there's nothing on there like you and I talked not too long ago sometime in, in pandemic about like my first solo record where there are actually incorrect harmonies not like incorrect <laughs> harmonies like like I mean like they're not the right notes to sing together I can't listen to that record as a result. I haven't listened to that record in like a very, I'm sure someday I'll be like, oh God, just put it on and get over yourself. But it's been a minute because there's certain songs where I'm like, I can't hear, I can't myself do that. But there's none of that on that Bad Books record. The harmonies are all in the right place. I think we got even more comfortable and developed with that over time too. But there was something I was thinking of from earlier, I just wanted to say about watching you exhale in that context was also something that I always felt really like happy for. I was grateful that this project afforded an opportunity for you to work on music in a way that was less pressurized. Yeah. That wasn't, that wasn't like killing me. Yeah. And not that it, not because the results speak for themselves and Manchester's don't misunderstand what I'm saying. I just mean it more like project should breathe a little. It should also justify its own existence and be fucking good, but it should breathe a little too and I think that and it should be enjoyable I yeah. think that's always <laughs> yeah. been the bottom line of our band together is that if there is something we are doing where it is not fun then it's probably not the right thing to do and that doesn't mean you shouldn't like stress over things it doesn't mean there aren't like take it seriously right intense moments but not intense moments of anger or frustration with each other just like trying to figure out what I would say less and less and less and less intense moments over the last 10 years that we would have oh when we're God. creating together you know because really it's it's become 
it's raining outside if anybody's hearing that but it's become for instance i remember after our first babble show you and i met up <laughs> to do a and this is gonna it's like sort of a flip tell me if this is your memory but essentially we meet up to do radio and we're gonna play drive to philly or something that night and i look at you and i was like that was awesome and you were like that felt it was the night after our very first show and you said that was that felt like we were in a car on fire going 100 miles an hour down a hill and no one knew what to do and i was like yeah awesome yeah, right yeah <laughs> like, yeah 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 like i haven't felt that way in a long time that which felt is like the point that's and you were and honestly that's right i remember for me that first show there was a headiness personally to me because i was like we're playing our first bad book show was a bowery ballroom in New York. And to me, for me, that was like, it still is, but that was like the place. And I was like, wow, mm -hmm. we like, and the show was fucking fun. Fine. If the people that came to it, that were our friends loved it. It was great. I think that for me, there was this headiness about like, it was a now defunct CMJ, the, 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 which was a thing I grew up like really wanting my bands to play at that thing. It was like an important thing. And the night before we did a goddamn band show at, at Music Hall Williamsburg. I remember being like, this is insane. Like I'm in these two bands and I get to play these. These are like my two favorite clubs in the world. And we're, and then I think I just was a little tight about it. Like I wanted it to be like, and I think at that point I had fully bought in to like probably too far bought in because we ended up reeling it back but it was just like yeah this is this should be a punk rock show the spirit of that is right though if i forget the lyrics i don't care i will make up new lyrics like i was watching some of that apk stuff and like what i'm watching the plan oh yeah and uh and i was like oh yeah i like forget the lyric like on the second line of the song and we were like yeah it's totally fine just release it. Who cares? Yeah, <laughs> Who we cares? literally, wasn't it like the B-side to a to the Simple Math single? Yeah, I'd loosened up that much that was like cool. No, but that's really, that's, I think that is right in spirit. And I also mm -hmm. think we both brought some of that into our respective other projects too Definitely. over the arc of time. And, and like that something can be loose, but it can be serious. Something can be funny. Like to me, I've always felt like, and you know this because you have the, whether it's the curse or the benefit of knowing me exceptionally well, personally, <laughs> both, I mean, coin toss every day. Yeah, you, know, yeah. just, you, well, that's you never thing. know. Vice versa. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Both things are either like they're very present in I know in my mind at all times. Like there's a there's a super seriousness and there's also like an abject fucking lunacy in there that's like very silly. And I feel like, you know, when I go see a person play and the person is like solemn or morose or I believe that that's what they're expressing and feeling. Don't misunderstand me. But I also know there's something else in there. And if there's not something else in there, then that's probably not a person you like really want to be around all that much because that person's probably a drag <laughs> but sure i think that i do understand presentationally sometimes there's this part of us that's like well you know will the levity uh what's the word like sort of um poison the seriousness or vice versa and i think you can just fucking be both i think you can totally be both uh, you know there were moments on the black mile tour where i got really obsessed with like the running of it all yeah like, the flow yeah, of totally. it all and it became a thing where i like yeah, I like almost got too deep into it, but like I loved it. But it almost felt like this, re like this challenge of like, don't say anything the entire time right. and try to connect these things and make this like we're telling the dudes after shows, you know, like when we, you know how I am after shows. It's like normally. <laughs> 
I've like got stuff to talk about, you know, and I try and say it pretty immediately. And the way I've said those things has become a lot softer as well over the years. But what I found is like, if I don't say something about the performance, a side note, but if I don't say something immediately, I'll forget it. And then the next night I'll be on stage and the same thing will happen again. And I'm like, oh, that's on me. Like you can't actually be frustrated that that thing happened again because... That, and it's nothing. It's like literally what I'm talking about is something that no one would ever notice. But it's just sort of the way that I started looking at these shows. Like, man, I want this like to be almost like a theater like experience. Like you're you're going and seeing this act. But <laughs> with that being said, I remember then getting comments in Europe specifically of people being like, "What the hell is this dude's problem?" Like, I just went and saw him play for 90 minutes, and he said nothing. And in my mind, I'm like, I'm trying to pitch the perfect game. Like yeah. I'm focused and like in this thing. So I think there's also that side of it. I think that that is 100% non-binding. Nothing is all the time. And there are definitely mm-hmm. times, I mean, I, our energies on stage are slightly different. And, 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 and I kind of, even if I want to do that, sometimes I kind of can't help myself <laughs> for better and for worse, but not always that I'd break into something that's like totally ridiculous. Sometimes it's like, I just start talking or I start, you know, communicating in a way, but I do think totally. there have absolutely been times where I've made a point to be like, we're just going to go out there and like do this. Yeah. I'm in the zone. There's room for that too. But anyway, you were going to say something else. Well, I was going to say like to the opposite of your point, which is also true. Like things can still be funny and they can be light. And the other part is that I've realized over the years, like things can be really, really difficult and hard to create and like a, a huge sort of mountain of things to try and accomplish. But that doesn't mean that you have to have a bad time. Right. And th- there's something about like enjoying the process of it that I think has sort of been an evolution for me that I think Bad Books has helped shape because I didn't spend a lot of time in the studio ever really stressing about the Bad Book stuff other than like when it was time to go back in and, and finish up the record. And, you know, I would get serious about like, here are the things that we really need to add and here here are the missing pieces. This is more like on two and three. But that's been something that it's taught me is um, I heard Tom York say the second that he sort of stopped taking himself so seriously in the studio and started just taking the work seriously and realized that he was fortunate enough to be able to do it. It's that kind of mentality. That's the difference between like you can take a thing seriously and not be self-serious. And that's figuring out the way to like extract the one from the other is sort of connects to what we were just talking about too, about like how you present something live or about how you just sort of present yourself moving around in in public as as, as a, whatever you want to call it, performer, public facing person, person who does a thing in front of people. There's a way, I mean, we've talked about this, you and I, this is a commonality you and I have had since like an hour into knowing each other, despite whatever goofiness or whatever, you know, and you know this, but I take this extraordinarily seriously. I believe it to be like a life's work. I also believe there's a saying in like substance abuse recovery where they say, I wish you a long, slow recovery. Now they're not telling you like, I hope you you stumble around for a while, but they're telling you like, it's going to be gradual. It's going to be nonlinear. I definitely was not a person who showed up at the party musically with like all of my shit ready. Like I wasn't like 22 making like a nevermind or um, bringing it all back home or something like that. It's been a very gradual process of development. And I actually can still point at stuff where I'm like, and I know we talk about this too, where I'm like, oh, I got a little better at that this time. 
this time around. But to me, that's like the primary thing I want to say to younger bands or artists or people who is like that almost that thing where it's like not cool to take it seriously. I'm like, no, 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 no. You're, you're, you're emphasizing the wrong thing. Don't be ridiculous and take yourself seriously, which you'll figure out in time. And you can't tell someone that they get there when they get there, but take the work mega fucking seriously because it is a gift. It's, it's a lot of work, of course. And it's about a lot, you know what I'm saying? It's about a lot of things being able to do it, but you are, if you are able to do it, what thing is more worth taking seriously than that? I agree. And it's, it shouldn't be a self obsession or it shouldn't be a work obsession. You know, there's a difference in that too, but I'm with you. And I think the kind of the best part about bad books, one is that we didn't take it seriously, <laughs> we, no. like, it, you know, in a, in a great way. It was sort of the first time we were able to not take it seriously. Loose Stones. garment for yeah. sure. Yeah. yeah. And, yeah. and I mean, and there were still these moments of discovery in that process. It's like even something like how this all ends, it's like a genuinely strange little song. And that's not a thing that would have been on a Manchester record. That's not a thing that would have been on a right away record. That's not a color I was painting in very much at that point. Uh, yeah. You I know? just wanted it to be like Pink Floyd. Like, how do I make a garage rock version of a Pink Floyd song? Yeah. With like a, with with kind of a punky chorus. Yeah. And we did it. That's the thing too, is like, even the, the things that are experiments, they're experiments that like, they were worth following around. It was funny with that, right? Once we, and then once we realized like, oh, we have a record. Oh, we like the record. Oh, we can put this out. We should put this out. Let's go play some shows. Like it just sort of had this natural momentum. And I think, I don't know, for me, it was exciting because it was like the first time in a long time that it was like a new band. Right. No, I mean, a long time might not be the right way to say it. I guess it had been like five years or whatever, but it was a moment of like, it felt cool. It felt cool to like be in that, in the van going to FUV and playing those songs in the morning and then going and like doing these, hearing that the other record was like, you know, doing so well on the Amazon deal of the day. There was all this stuff that I was like, oh, this is fun as hell. We're like this thing that we started as a lark is like actually percolating in some weird way. And the fact that it could just continue to be a place where we can work and create. I think that was such a big oh my god ease for me. And obviously we liked it so much that it didn't take us but like a maybe a year and a half before we were back in the studio again, maybe even less, yeah, you know, so creating funny. the second record. And it's so cool that the second record is so much better than the first record. There was nothing really different about it other than people who had kind of grown and in, in, in a short period of time. You compare the band at that point, one and two. These records came out almost... Almost exactly two years. Almost exactly after two each years other. apart, which is really wild because we were also you it's hard did to do. simple math and I did concrete and clouds <laughs> between the two. And I released a right away record That's right. the year we released too. Yeah, that was good. That's right. So effectively between what mid two thousand nine and end of two thousand twelve, there's mean everything to nothing. There's Brothers mm-hmm. Blood. There's the Bad Books record. There's Simple Math. There's a right away record. And Bad Books too. It's Concrete and Clouds, Bad Books too. We did that matter of time thing, that live record thing. It's a lot of shit in two and a half yeah. years. And it didn't feel like it either. That was the best part about Bad Books is that it never felt like we had to do it. It was chosen. It's funny to think that the second record, yeah, we just, it was all there. It's funny. I don't think about that very often that we did like turn that around so quickly. Like well, hilariously, it took us seven to do the next one. Well, so, yeah. yeah. I mean, life, life intervened in numerous ways, but that's for a later edition of the pod. <laughs> 
<laughs> because I'm talking about the pod. Tenacious D. Yeah, he passed on actually today. Tenacious did? Yeah, 38. 38. That's sad. This is a cool part we could do at our podcast where we talk about people that died. (laughs) And then one of these days it's going to be the moment and they do, and it's going to look very, very poor. I want to know who that happened with on Comedy Bang Bang because sometimes you'll hear them say, I recently heard an episode where they were like, oh, we can't do that anymore. It was Paul F. Tompkins and, uh, and Scott, and they were like, we can't do that anymore. Someone must, they made a joke like that and someone must have actually died within short I know, order. I know the answer to it. Okay. And I, I can, I'm not going to say it now. No. Um, you, can, you can text me later. <laughs> I think we've sort of wrapped up all things one. I'm trying to think if there's any other hilarious... We could try to do a lightning round of funny things that are, uh, we remember. That first uh, tour was kind of amazing. Easy. It was like all different versions of people in the band playing their music, plus Hardy. The best part about it, too, is that Rob Rob was opening a Gobatron set, and between every song, he would play the Rolling Stones riff. <laughs> it's like an in-between music. Yeah, people were like, okay. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> cool. There's a part of Rob that really likes that. I like know. Sort of li- I living know. in the Oh, we had that crazy moments. thing happen where we were, weren't we leaving like the 567 in Macon, Georgia, and we got pulled over by the police or something mm-hmm. like that? That was like one of Nate's very first like tour management extraordinaire, Grace Under Fire. Not that we were like hoarding ecstasy or anything. We were just like, you know, you don't want to get pulled over. And Nate was just like, I got this. And then he told them that we were praise and worship team. <laughs> yes, that's right. That's right. That's He's like, right. yeah, this is in his blood. They're from Chattanooga, Tennessee, <laughs> and uh, we just played over <laughs> at the church. Is that the name he said? That's outstanding. No, 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 no. no. Uh, I just made that up. Or that's the name of a Christian band. Who must knows? be. Must be. It must be. I was thinking the way that, that songs like Thanklin Franklin. Oh, my God. Yeah, Wasted, I'm Gone. Oh, my. Well, that whole thing, I don't know how to credibly, ex- like, there is this, this whole insane thing that happened one night where these dudes were working on, on late, late, late at night. We used to work on those. That's the other thing. It was like ungodly. We would just go in whenever and then stay till whenever. So some nights that yeah. meant like 5 a.m. or something. Yeah, it did. <laughs> this was pre-kids, pre-lots of things. But we were in there late one night. It was that compound in, in Atlanta. And there was these dudes working on hip hop. And I think you and I were like taking a piss or something. And one of the guys mm-hmm. came in and was like, I'm looking for a rock voice. And you were like, I am the rock voice. <laughs> And five minutes later, we're in their studio and there was dudes like fucked up. There was a guy with his head down on the he table. Going, and you the, want rice and beans? You want rice and beans? Yeah, and so I, there was ecstasy and coke. We ate already. We're good. And they were like, no, we mean, it was like coke and ecstasy, rice and beans. And then I think they wanted Coralie to go back and get the Gretsch. Get the, uh, they loved that. Oh, you might have said go get the Gretsch. And I they thought I was that like, was the funniest. Go get the Gretsch. Yeah, they thought it was the coolest thing in the world. They thought that was the funniest thing in the world. Get the Gretsch. And then go the dude the who had his, the thing I remember, and I actually can't even you can hear it in my voice it's hard for me to even talk about it without the guy who had his head down and when they were playing it back through the speakers oh well by the way you need to know we were like recording on top of this song wasted gone the song went i'm bitch i'm wasted yeah i'm, I'm gone. gone it feels so right, right but, but it's, it's wrong. wrong do you I'm remember on. the guitar part that i played yes i do yeah it was like Carlos Santana. <laughs> yeah. You know I got a hot one. <laughs> the guy picked his Rob head Thomas up and he was featured. like, they're going to play this at the Super Bowl. <laughs> they're going to throw us a parade. 
And then he fell asleep again. <laughs> That's real. That happened. Like if I think, and then you know what I remember after that? Me, you, and Ben went back to the studio and we messed around on After Party. After Party. That's right. At 4.30 in the morning. Yeah. I was just with Group Love on Friday night. Uh, in Atlanta, Wait, what they were <laughs> they were in Atlanta recording a record or an EP or, or a collection of songs. And Ben, uh, who is Bad Books drummer, is the drummer in Group Love. And they were all away from home, and they were still working those hours. And so I went in to like sing on stuff with them, and ended up hanging at the studio. I Ubered down there, as I assumed it would be a late night. I was working at the studio with them until four o'clock in the morning. <laughs> That's the first time that I have been in a studio at four o'clock in the morning, probably since Bad Books too. <laughs> That's so good. I just sent Amy a text. Of, oh, excuse me. Oh, there it is. <laughs> you asshole. <laughs> Hold on a second. <sighs> okay. And if you're just joining us, this is Bad Book Club, and I'm your host, Randall Osborne. And now let's listen to a little song called Rhythm is a Dancer by Snap. Rhythm is a dancer, it's the soul's companion You can feel it everywhere Oh, Lift your mind and chorus, breathe your mind and join us <laughs> Okay, I'm back Oh, what's up, dude? Hit me with that again <laughs> Oh, you mean this? <laughs> Should we write a bad book song right now? Here comes a dog with no face to change. Well, this is bad. (laughs) Well, we want to thank you. Any other memories from Bad Books 1? You want to tarnish? Uh, Let's think. Oh, oh no. That's not cool. <laughs> Thanks, man. It's a classical. I remember you will. This is a good way to end it. I think that uh, we played six shows. We made a pretty good record. There's some songs on it I still love very much. I'm grateful for the journey it started us off on. And you've got 50 seconds to wrap this up. Oh, my God. <laughs> Edie talks about Thanklin Franklin because I've talked to her about it. But she I'm also... Sorry, who's Edie? In, yeah, yeah, she'll say... Because I, I, I think I think I sent a video once to you and you and Maisie wrote back Edie was like Andy what's Thanklin Franklin <laughs> but she also instead of Benjamin Franklin she thinks his name is Origamin Franklin <laughs> think about what you've done I know I know I know I've I poisoned her you also sent me a video of her the other day where you say for three minutes different lines where you go like and now if I say Arkvar what do you say? And she goes, Jar Jar Barky Farky. And people, this didn't happen like one time. It was like full on. Then at one point, <laughs> you were in the car. <laughs> and she goes, and you can't really hear. And you're like, you can take down the mask. <laughs> She's very adherent with her, her mask game. Yeah. What a time. How is she doing? Is she just the sweetest and also a whole lot to handle all the time? Sure. As they are. Yeah, let's say that's exactly where she is. Yeah. <laughs>
God's little psychopath. She's she's just fine. That's lovely. Well, thank you guys so much for listening to us gab yes. about this thing. We're looking forward to talking more during this whole process about whatever comes to mind. But uh, this was a good way for us to get going and kind of discuss this record that it's such a big part of both of our, I think, discographies and libraries of music. And I'm grateful that 10, literally 10 years later, it's unthinkable we're, that it's... we're talking about it, you know? Yep, absolutely. And I mean, those are still songs that holding down the laughter and and uh, wouldn't have to ask are still songs that if I'm doing a solo show, I play. Yeah, I feel, uh, yeah, I do the Mesa same thing too, with actually. Baby Shoes. And thank you for, for those who are on Kevin's Patreon. Kevin did a, a gorgeous cover of the closing track on Bad Books 1, the song Texas, and sent it to me and Rob last week. And yeah, like it made me tear up how, how sweet it was and made me appreciate that song that I don't really think about often. So thank you for doing that. That was, I was very honored. I said it there, but that song really embedded itself in me for whatever reason and hearing it and, and having it move around it's kind of in my head it's one of those songs that sometimes when it gets quiet like I'm that song's playing you know you know how you have those songs where you're like it's something about there is a way that you embody and present that I also think that was one of those moments where I was really like blown away that you had just written that like in this in real time I was like what like that wasn't here for 35 minutes ago and now it's like that's gonna be on our <laughs> record cool because I remember like some of those acoustic performances you and I listening back and being like should we do something here and that I kind of like about the spirit of that record too I mean maybe if those songs were on two I'm singing a harmony on Texas or you're yeah. singing the harmonies that you sing and I love on Mesa and on Mirror but I kind of like that on some level we were like well it's almost a little brash in a way to be like why is it a Bad Books song if it's just Andy singing and it's like well because we recorded it during the Bad Books record you that's know right. like I kind of think that's cool it, it, it also allowed, which we rightly moved somewhat away from and towards more pure collaboration over time, but it did allow for like, we can have bad book songs that could just be like one of us singing a song. Why not? That's fine. But that song is, uh, that's like a Cormac McCarthy short story or something. The people, the pictures, the, it's just a beautiful song. And when we were, I try to have these little themes by the month over there. And, and this was like an anniversary month. That record, Make the Clocks Move is 17 this month, which is wow. insane. But so I was like, why don't I cover Andy and do one of my own for the other thing? So I'm grateful you liked it because it was, it was fun for me to do. I loved it. I also love when you do covers, you switch up words on it. And it feels like you kind of do that depending on your mood and how the song is striking you. And I think that's a really neat thing that uh, I don't hear a lot of people do. I'm glad you thought that. I feel like with that song, there's some stuff that just felt like filtering it through my own life experience, what reflexively, I didn't think about that very much. When I did the vocal take, there was some stuff that just happened as it happened. And I, I afterwards was like, oh, I changed this. I changed like a perspective here, a pronoun, whatever. Like I, it, some of the things moved around and I was like, but that also felt like there were reasons for it subconsciously yeah, or something, exactly. you know? Yeah, and so you wanted to sing it that way. Yeah, I love that. I'm glad that you were, you know, you can issue a cease and desist at any time Razor and Tie had the pub yeah, it'll be taken down tomorrow but I did enjoy 
I do think one last little tidbit. I think it's funny now in retrospect. I named that song Texas without knowing where it would land on the record and also without knowing oh, right. the song was going to be called Mesa, Arizona. Right. So today I was looking at the track list of the record. I'm like, oh, how lovely. Oh, that's too- that's a little thing too with Mesa. That's that's a song that was like, I wrote that on Christmas Eve on 2000 and, in 2009, I guess. Christmas Eve 2009. And w- b- b- before knowing we were, I guess we knew at that point we were going to get together. Yeah, because we got together like two weeks later. But that song, so maybe that song was like half written in mind as a bad book song because the people in it I saw, it was very fictionalized, but I saw them as me and you. Like, yeah, that's how I see that song too. You know, Definitely. just driving that, that fucking infernal drive from Arizona towards the, you know, Dallas or, or vice versa. And what I think is where the first real deep seeds of our relationship were sown was driving that together oh, for the yeah. first time Easter Sunday all those videos back in the day of us and brand new <laughs> it's an insane day of, of that thing that being a good 13 years ago now or so yeah well I love you and uh, thanks for chatting with me and well, I'm acting like it's my podcast we love you the audience and and we love each other I and love this is what Andy we do now. and we love you <laughs> And we'll be right here next time. And maybe one day we'll look at this first episode the way we're looking at the first record now. Ten years into our podcasting careers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, Could have been you. great. So close. Learning. <laughs> Failing. <laughs> Goodbye. Bye. Hi, everybody. Thank you for listening to the debut episode of The Bad Book Club. We'll have new episodes once or twice a month, and future full episodes will be exclusively released to patrons of the Kevin Devine, which is me, and Manchester Orchestra Patreons. If you are not a Patreon member, no worries. We'll be releasing shortened clips of the episodes to the general public as well. Make sure to subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts or episode clips, or sign up for either one of the Patreons for the full episode. And uh, thank you very much for being here. We'll see you again soon.